welcome to episode 46 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini, and unfortunately, I have a cold. So I'm going to be sounding a whole lot different here during this introduction piece than I did when I recorded the interview yesterday, when I was feeling better. What can I say? It's that time of year. Anyway, this episode is all about sensory processing disorder. Now, many kids with special needs have sensory issues, problems with loud noises, large crowded areas, taste, textures, strong smells, bright lights, the list goes on. Many parents, of course, know all about this situation. Now, for decades, sensory issues were considered to be a side effect of whatever the more prevalent disorder that was going on with a child, whether it was autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, dyslexia, multiple sclerosis, and other disorders. However, medical research has proven that this is a separate disorder called sensory processing disorder, and there is now a push to have it recognized by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, known as DSM, which is the official medical reference for physicians. Now, my guest for this episode has first-hand knowledge of sensory processing disorder. Kelly Jureko is the president and co-founder of SPD Parent Zone, a nonprofit organization that offers a website that's full of reliable and credible information on sensory processing disorder. She also hosts a blog and a podcast where she posts articles and information and interviews experts on SPD and keeps people updated. Hmm, sounds familiar. You'll also find out that Kelly has a very personal reason for being involved, as both of her sons were diagnosed with SPD. But I started out this interview by asking Kelly to give us an overview on what sensory processing disorder is and how it affects the people who have it. Sensory processing disorder is a neurological disorder where the brain and the senses don't communicate effectively with one another. The sensory information is sensed, but it's perceived abnormally. So I like to think of it as like having a broken volume control. So some people with SPD's volume control is too high, where they feel their senses too strongly. And some people's volume control is too low, where they don't feel sensation at all. So um, before my sons were diagnosed with SPD, I only thought there was five senses, but we, after learning about SPD, we all have eight senses. So we all know the five, you know, smell, sight, taste, touch, and sound, but then there's the three other ones that are a little um, less known, and the one of them is vestibular, and that's the body's sense of movement and balance. So if a child's vestibular sense is affected, these are usually the kids that are constantly on the go. They're running, they're jumping, they're climbing, they're spinning on everything and anything uh, they can find at school. They can't sit still. They're constantly fidgeting. Um, so those are the kids where their volume control is too low for their vestibular sense. So kids where their volume control would be too high for their vestibular sense are like the total opposite. So, um, they avoid playground equipment where that spins and, um, the swing set, um, they become anxious or distressed when their feet leave the ground. They don't like riding in cars. Um, so those are some of the things for vestibular, um, the other one is proprioceptive sense, and that's the body's sense of where it is in space. So these are the kids that seem to be really clumsy. Um, they're constantly running into stuff. They're banging into the desk and the door. And they're dropping stuff. They're um, breaking pencils um, just because they don't know where their body is in relation to the different um, things. Um, then the last one is interceptive sense, and that's the body sense of what's going on internally. Uh, this tells us that we have to go to the bathroom, if we're hungry, if we're, um, if we're full, if it's too hot or too cold, if we're sick, 
or also if, um, if we're in pain. Um, I, my son, um, when he was younger, he, I used to think he was like so tough because, um, he would get hurt, like he would fall down and, but he would, um, like one time he was on the swing set and he fell off he, um, and everyone saw it and, and everyone was like, oh, but two seconds later he got up and just like started running around and I was like, yeah, my son's so tough. Um, but it just turns out he wasn't feeling his interceptive sense was, um, his volume control was off. So he wasn't really feeling, um, his pain tolerance. So SPD may affect one sense or it may affect multiple senses. So many children have symptoms like this from time to time, but parents should seek help when it's affecting the child's daily life and impacts their level of functioning. Wow. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Um, so it's sort of like the, the uh, it's a problem with regulating uh, nerves and uh, uh, yeah. body abilities. That's yeah. that's just wild. So now both of your sons were in, or diagnosed with SPD, and how how does that impact their daily lives? So today, um, so my son was diagnosed eight years ago when he was two. My oldest son, and he was really had a really severe form of SPD. Um, so today, um, through all the work we've done, he is rarely impacted. Um, both my boys, um, SPD really. Um, they're pretty much like typical boys now just because of all the work we've done, but fast, like rewind eight years ago. And I'm not sure if some of your listeners are at that space right now where I was eight years ago, but my son, um, it impacted every single part aspect of our life. Every person, every, um, family member affected. Um, it was just, my son was barely talking. He was barely sleeping. He was barely eating. He was melting down multiple times a day. Um, he got kicked out of preschool for his behavior, for sensory issues. Um, it was really, really tough time. And I felt like it was all my fault. And I was like the worst mother. Um, but through all the work we've done, um, you know, he talks so much now. My daughter says he's making up for those first four years. He didn't speak. He eats great. He sleeps great. Um, sometimes we've got to watch it though. Cause he'll, um, he doesn't like to sleep sometimes. Um, but he's been at the same school for the past six years and, um, he has friends, he plays on basketball, team and baseball team. So it's just, he's surpassed every single hope and dream I've ever had from him. And my youngest son, um, he no longer has it. Uh, he, we got him diagnosed when he was really young. We got him all the help, uh, help he needed and, um, he doesn't have it anymore. So it's, I mean, it's truly remarkable what can happen when you find the people and the appropriate help, what can happen for you and your family. Oh, and I want to say one more thing about impacting. So when one child has SPD, I feel like it, it, it impacts everyone. It impacts the parents, the marriage. Um, it impacts, uh, school siblings, um, parents, I mean, aunts, uncles, cousins, I mean, friends and family, it impacts everyone. Um, but if you, but it also, when you get better, it impacts everyone too. And it, and it, I feel like it creates this like beautiful ripple effect that helps everyone. Hmm. Now, what are some of the misconceptions that people have about kids with SPD? So, um, like I said earlier, SPD is a neurological disorder. So kids usually, and, and teens and adults that have it too, there, there's usually no physical evidence um, that a child has this disorder. You, usually you can tell just from their behavior. So um, people might see a kid with a sensory meltdown and think they're just a bad kid. Um, like you see a kid at school the teacher, if the teacher doesn't under, understand SPD, there's a kid at school, he's sitting in the seat and he's fidgeting and he's 
zoning out. He's not paying attention to the teacher. Um, and he gets in trouble for that. But in reality, his sensory issues are so bad. The lights are flickering, the fluorescent lights, and that's bothering him. Um, there's the, you know, the air conditioner or the heaters on and it's a little hum to everyone else. They can't even really tell, but to him, it's like so loud. He can't focus and, um, you know, or he can't feel the seat and he's like fidgeting around. And so he's doing everything in his power just to be able to just be able to sit there and, um, and try and just like, focus, but he's getting in trouble because he can't do that. So it looks like he's being bad, but in reality, um, it's just a sensory issues. Or like you see a kid at the grocery store who's on the ground crying and, um, you know, people are passing judgment on that parent saying that their kid's just like a little brat or something, but really the kid, the smell of like the meat and cheese is just so overwhelming for them. And like the lights and all the people, it just, they just can't handle it. So they just have a they're just crying because they don't know what else to do. So, or like at home, the the child won't get dressed because the the tags on their shirt is like really hurts them, and the socks, and the parents are yelling at them to get dressed and come on, we got to go to school. Um, so yeah, so I think that's the thing that's hard is that these kids look like they're normal kids, but they're and people think that they're just being bad, but they're really having sensory issues. Right, right. And I wonder if a lot of these sensory issues you're describing, they sound like other disorders as well, such as ADHD yeah. or, yep. uh, you know, uh, Asperger's syndrome. Autism. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing that they're, they're all very similar. Autism, Asperger's, SPD, ADHD. So that's why you have, I think it's important to get, um, to get diagnosed, um, instead of someone else diagnose, diagnosing your child, right. get, you have to get a professional a medical doctor. Yeah. And then to that yeah. extent, how hard is it to find medical doctors or therapists who can help kids with SPD? Because this is kind of a new, uh, or at least not very well known, uh, issue, isn't it? Yeah. So, so it's been around for 40 some years, but it's not, there's a thing called the DSM. Um, it's the diagnostic statistic. It's like the Bible for uh, mental disorders. So that's what doctors mm-hmm. use. So it's not recognized in that as a, as a standalone disorder. So it can be challenging um, for people to get diagnosed with SPD um, because it's not in that, um, not in that uh manual, but it is in the past eight years since, since my son has been diagnosed, there's been huge changes. There's been research studies that have been made that show, um, there's been studies on kids' brain waves and, um, that show that SPD is real. And, um, so I think the next edition that comes out of the DSM, it will be in there. But, um, but, uh, but so people recognize it as like doctors do recognize it and definitely therapists, occupational therapists recognize SPD as a disorder. Um, so, so it's a lot easier to get diagnosed now, um, like to get help through doctors and therapists. Um, but the thing that I've heard lately is that uh, parents are saying they can find these therapists, but the wait list is like six to nine months to get into some of these places just to get evaluated. Mm. And to get services. So um, that's a struggle. Now. Right. And I'm sure there's probably a location challenge there, too, for some people. You know, if the if there's only a few therapists and they're living in a different part of the state than where those therapists are, that must be difficult as well. 
Yeah. So there's, I can give you a link to, um, there's the, like the national foundation of sensory processing disorder. They have a treatment directory of, of all the different places in the United States and internationally of, um, the different therapists and doctors that can help you. Right. And that's on your website too. Is it not? Yeah, yeah. that's on my and, website. And so yeah, we yeah. might as well talk right now then about your website. Now, it's oh, SPD right. Parent Zone. And you started this yeah. because you weren't able to find a whole lot of information or help with sensory processing yeah. disorder. And now through the site, you've been communicating with other parents around the world. What are some of the biggest concerns about SPD and the information that is available online? Well, when I started, um, there seemed to be not that much information. But now it seems like there's too much information. So I'll get parents that reach out to me and say they're just too overwhelmed. They don't know where to begin. So um, my site, I've um, I've been able to team up with the different experts in the field. And so you, I have like these courses and online conferences that you can start today. Um, so and you don't have to wait that six to nine months. You can wait, get on the wait list to go to those people, but you can get help today. And that's, I always wanted to get help today. Right, so. yeah, which is the way pretty much everyone wants it. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, now everyone. I wanted help yesterday, you know. (laughs) Right. Well, that's great. Yeah, and your website is really fantastic for that. Now, you have a sensory processing disorder checklist, too. That's a great resource for parents to learn the signs of SPD and how to to deal with it. How was the list put together? And can you give some of the symptoms from the checklist? Sure. So the checklist is actually um, by Dr. Winnie Dunn. She's She's an occupational therapist, and she's the one that created this. Um, I got her permission to use it. And I, w- when I first read this, I was like, check, check, check to every single one for my son. It was, there's 64 different um, things on here. Um, so I'll just, and they're broken out into each different sense. So I'll just give like a couple from each of them. So I think just to save time. And then people can go onto my website and, and um, I made it a PDF form so you can print it out and you can um, check it off. And then if you want to bring this to your doctor, or your therapist, or anyone else to show them that it's, it's been helpful. Um, so, so like I said before, it might affect one sense, and it, you might affect one sense, or it might affect multiple senses. So if like three or more of these, when you print out the checklist, um, you, you check them, then I would suggest following up with your doctor or your therapist, uh, or an occupational therapist to get checked out. Um, so, okay, so the auditory one, would be, um, so if their volume control, going back to that volume control, if their volume control is too high, these kids will hold their hands over their ears to protect their ears from the sound. And this is, um, a lot of parents say this too. My son did this too. He used to cover his ears all the time. Um, and especially like at school or like when the toilet would flush or a hairdryer or just, um, and like the public bathrooms. Oh, that was like the worst for him, but he started wearing a hoodie. So if you, um, guys have hoods for your kids. My son, everything he would wear, he would wear hoodies all the time. And that really helped with the sound for him. Um, if your volume control is too low, they, the, the kids don't respond when their name is called, but you know that their hearing is okay. That's another sign. Um, for the vestibular processing, I kind of talked about this earlier, but I'll say it again. Um, so the kids that their volume control is too high, um, they they avoid playground equipment. They dislike activities where their head's upside down, like somersaults or roughhousing. They're anxious or distressed when their feet leave the ground. Um, and if their volume control is too low, they seek that constant movement. They seek out movement activities like um, being rolled around by an adult, merry-go-rounds, playground equipment. Um, they love to – they rock. 
um, in their desk and their chair and they're constantly, um, they can't sit still and fidget at school. So then the touch um, sense, they, if their volume control is too high, they avoid getting messy. Um, they don't like playing with finger paint or sand or glue. Um, they ex- uh, this is a big one, um, is they express distress during grooming, like um, taking a bath. Um, they cry when they're, this is a, when they get their hair cut, they cry and fight haircuts. Um, they don't like their face being washed or their fingernails being cut. Um, sorry. Uh, they become irritated with socks or shoes. This is another one. Um, and what I found really helpful for my son, he didn't like socks. So, and, uh, we would turn his socks inside out and that really helped that made a big difference. Mm. Um, and then if their volume control is too low, they, they have that decreased awareness of pain or temperature. Like I was talking about with my son, um, they avoid wearing shoes and they love to be barefoot. Uh, they don't notice when their face or hands are messy. Um, and what else? Uh, they, um, they touch people and objects to the point of irritating other people. Hmm. Um, another one is they walk on their toes. That's a big one that a lot of parents say that their kids walk on their toes a lot. Um, and then oral, oral, um, this is a big one is people, parents say that their kids are picky eaters, especially regarding, um, different food textures and temperatures. Um, and they limit their food, um, to a particular food or texture. Usually it's like, um, uh, like cheese and dairy. Um, and they, on the, if that's, if their volume is too high, if their volume is too low, they crave certain foods. Um, they chew on everything and anything. I just did a, um, a, a Facebook live video yesterday with a woman that owns a sensory store and, ev- and all the parents were asking about chewing. So a lot of kids have issues with chewing. So that would be, um, yeah. And that's, so that's just some of the things on the checklist. Wow, That's a lot of stuff to cover there. And it's, um, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's funny because, you know, I can see examples of that in a lot of different kids. Um, Mm -hmm. and maybe, maybe one or two on their own might not be such a concern, but what you, when you put them all together though, then that is what really starts to, uh, point toward uh, sensory processing disorder. Yeah. It's how it affects their daily life. It, it if it really interferes with their daily life and their functioning, like how my son, he wouldn't, he wasn't eating, he wasn't sleeping or talking or any of that stuff because all that's his sensory stuff were just too. It was too overpowering. Right. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Now, yeah. um, let's also talk about your podcast, uh, which we seem okay. to be doing one here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you're, you offer some really good interviews, too, and a, a number of experts on sensory processing disorder. Can you give an overview of uh, the guests and the episodes that you've covered, uh, subject matter and all that? Yeah. So um, the people that I've t- talked to on my podcast are are the authors of the you know, the, the top, uh, SPD books, um, different parents, a lot of parents, um, that are, uh, have children with sensory needs. And they also have like a, um, they also have a business. Um, I interviewed Mike Porath, who's the author. Uh, I mean, he's a creator of the mighty, which is a really awesome, um, website for special needs parents. Um, right. He's a great guy. I've, I've had him on my podcast yeah. too. So <laughs> yeah, he's so sweet. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's um, and other. I've had um, one of my friends. She's an adult with SPD, so she's written a couple books. She's been on the show. Um, so yeah, just um, it's just interviewing the experts, trying to get um, 
because I had so many questions in the beginning and I was reading all these books and I just wanted to be able to connect the parents with the authors and just hearing their, uh, their advice directly from them. It's, it's been really fun. That's great. That's, that's the best reason to do a podcast in my opinion. Yeah. As always. Um, so let's talk about, um, you know, where SPD is now and where you hope it's going to go in the future. What do you hope to see as far as progress goes for therapies and treatments with a sensory processing disorder? Well, I hope it gets in the DSM, like we were talking about that manual um, next time, because that will really open up a lot of um, help for families to get therapy services. Um, I would love it to be more accessible to all people, because if you don't have insurance, that's like the first reason I started my nonprofit, because I was um, found out that a lot of people that didn't have insurance couldn't afford therapy services. Mm-hmm. So that was a big thing. I was We were fundraising, and we offered scholarships. Mm-hmm. Um, for families for like a full year of therapy. Um, but we don't do that anymore. We do other stuff. Right. But, but yeah, so, um, but yeah, so more uh, therapies being more accessible. And then also to, for the therapies to be inclusive of the full family, not just the child. I think that's amazing. But to help the parents too and help the siblings. It's like I said before, it impacts everyone. Just more understanding, more knowledge and more information. That's yeah. out there. Now, what would you say to parents who uh, have been suspecting something's wrong with their child? They're showing some of these symptoms and something, some of these uh, uh, situations. Maybe their child was just just diagnosed with sensory processing disorder, or maybe they haven't gone that far yet, and they're looking for where to go. Uh, what would you say to them as far as you know what to expect and uh, what they uh, what they need to remember? Okay, so I would, for parents that suspect their child has something, I would say, trust your intuition. That is like the number one thing I say. And that's been like my guiding light is my intuition. Um, sometimes we get talked out of by ourselves and family and friends might talk us out of stuff. Even I've heard, I've talked to parents where their doctors have said that nothing's wrong with their child, but you have to like really hone in into your intuition and trust in it and act on it. So um, that's what I say. It's to seek help as soon as possible. Go get my checklist and see if you, um, if any of that stuff can relate to what you're going through. And then you can contact me. I love talking to parents. Um, it's my favorite thing to do. I pretty much cry every time I get off the phone because I'm like so thankful to connect with another parent that's going through something similar. Um, so yeah, trust your intuition and, um, seek help as soon as possible. If you're just diagnosed, um, I'm so excited for you. And it's that validation. It feels amazing to finally, a lot of parents I talk to, they say they feel like they're crazy because um, I, I, I felt it myself too. And I feel like we're just surrounded by other people in the beginning that don't really understand. But as time goes on, you're going to find more and more people that can relate to you and understand what you're going through. Um, know that you're not alone. There's thousands, I've talked to thousands of families from all over the world. And, you know, we come from different uh, backgrounds, different beliefs, different locations, but everyone says the same stuff when it comes to our children. You're not alone and there's so much hope and there's so much help and things are about to get so much better. But this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So just know that, um, you know, it's, things will get better, but, um, just to know that it's not going to get better all right away. Right, right. But it, it, you're right. It is almost like a sense of relief knowing that uh, there is oh, a yes. name for this. It is known. Yes. And there is yes. a treatment out there. 
yeah, you finally have a focus and you, you know what to do because yeah. And I felt like I was just like, what I felt like it was all my fault. And I, it finally made sense. Uh, no pun intended there. When I figured like, when I figured out what sensory processing disorder was. My thanks to Kelly Jureko for joining us on the podcast. We have links to SBD Parent Zone and other information about sensory processing disorder on our website, Special Parents Confidential. As always, I'd like to remind you to share this episode with all of your social media connections. We have social media buttons on the page for this episode that make it easy for you to link. Also, you now have an option to be able to help support Special Parents Confidential. If you found any episode of the podcast to be of help, please consider supporting us so we can continue to do these interviews. We have more information on how that all works on our website as well. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.